the Olympian canon, the trio of Celtic goddesses known as the Matras, mothers, with fruit and bread in their laps, and a sculpture of three enigmatic cloaked figures, the Genii Cuculati, the hooded deities. Halsteads also had a Mithrium, a temple devoted to the cult of Mithras, with its perfume of Persian mysticism. Roman soldiers sprung from Germany and the Low Countries had worshipped these strange gods. This was not the Rome I thought I knew. There were other things that caught my attention. In the guidebook was a reproduction of a drawing of the fort by antiquary William Stukeley, dating from 1725. He showed the fields below the fort strewn with Roman gravestones and altars not tidied away into a museum collection, just lying exposed to the weather. There was material about John Clayton, the wealthy antiquary and Newcastle-upon-Tyne town clerk who had bought the fort in the mid-nineteenth century, and there were photographs of it being restored, or rather, from the look of it, rebuilt. It seemed to me that there were some interesting questions about how these remains had been thought about in the past, before they ended up as a neat English heritage site. And so, I set out to discover Roman Britain in earnest. A copy of Roger Wilson's superb A Guide to the Roman Remains in Britain in my hand, a work inexplicably out of print, but is the nearest equivalent, for enthusiasts of Roman Britain, to Pevsner's Architectural Guides. In 2009, I went to Hadrian's Wall again, walking along it from Carlisle to Newcastle. Over the next two summers, my boyfriend, Matthew, and I travelled in search of Roman remains in his delightful, though not particularly trusty, 1974 VW campervan, taking two journeys, a western route from London to the Cotswolds to Wales and north to Cumbria, and an eastern one, from Edinburgh through Yorkshire and Lincolnshire to Norfolk. On the second trip, the van lasted only until York, before collapsing from one of its many and varied complaints. One July, I walked along the Antonine Wall, the barrier built in the AD 140s from the Firth of Forth to the Firth of Clyde, which, briefly, marked the northernmost frontier of the Empire. There were also many short forays, day trips and detours to see Roman remains, in which I would entice patient friends and members of my family to visit forts or bathhouses or museums. One May morning, I even dragged a bewildered string quintet to inspect a battered, illegible Roman inscription in a Cornish church. This book is very far from a comprehensive account of Britain's Roman remains. Instead, I wanted to see what I could learn from an encounter with them. Not to discover what being in Roman Britain was like, for I was convinced of the irrecoverability of the lives of people from the deep past, except as manifestations of the historical imaginations of those who described them. Rather, I wanted to think about what this period means and has meant to a British sense of history and identity. I wanted to discover the ways in which the idea of Roman Britain has resonated in British culture 
and still forms part of the texture of its landscape, not just through the sublime contours of the Northumberland hills, but in humbler, urban and suburban tracts of territory. My search brought me into the company of many fascinating minds from the past, from the great 16th-century humanist William Camden, author of Britannia, a masterly topographical and antiquarian survey of Britain, to the shadowy figure of Charles Bertram, who fooled luminaries such as Stukeley with one of British historiography's most successful hoaxes. Through all this, it became clear how richly generative Roman Britain had been, how productive artistically and intellectually for those who had encountered it. There were stories by Thomas Hardy, poems by W. H. Auden and Wilfred Owen, music by Britain and Elgar, Joseph Conrad's black music,